Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Business of Empathy podcast. I'm Samantha Watkins. And I'm Solomon Lipschitz. And today we'll be discussing the top three misconceptions about emotional intelligence. So, Sam, what are the top three misconceptions about emotional intelligence? Well, the top three misconceptions are that it, one, doesn't exist, or somebody's never heard of it, two, that it is one singular thing, and three, that it doesn't matter. Okay. Um, I assume we're going to dive into each of those a little bit more, but uh, let's start with uh, then the first one. Yeah, so the top misconception about emotional intelligence is that it doesn't exist, or if somebody's never heard of it. Right. Like I've, I've, I've never heard of emotional intelligence. I have no idea what it is. I'm not, right. I'm coming into this. Like I, I didn't even know to look for this thing. It's not really a misconception, but I'm going to throw it in there. Yeah. Those are two slightly different things. If you've never heard of it, congratulations. We're fixing that right now. You're hearing about it. Now, if you think it doesn't exist, that is a bigger problem. To think that emotional intelligence doesn't exist is to think that this vast array of skills and abilities mm-hmm. aren't real. Mm-hmm. For example... By which you sort of mean like our emotions and our ability to interact with our emotions and do things with our emotions. Right. I don't know that anyone doesn't believe that emotions exist. Mm-hmm. Some people do believe that there is no way to be intelligent about it. Some people believe that emotions are a leftover animalistic thing that need to be dispelled or need to be muffled uh, because they're not helpful. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge misconception because Mm -hmm. emotions actually make us better at everything we do. Mm. And having emotional intelligence or the ability to use your emotions in a helpful way, that's how you go about using emotions to make you better at the things you do. Mm Mm-hmm. So then the second misconception that uh, the people have is? That it is one singular thing. Right. We haven't previously given a definition of emotional intelligence, so now I'm going to take the the opportunity to define the term and explain why this misconception is inaccurate. Okay. So emotional intelligence is a collection of skills that enables us to live effectively by managing our internal states. Mm Mm-hmm. What this means is that emotional intelligence isn't just one thing that you can get really good at. Rather, it's a lot of things that you can have various capacities with. You might be really good at this component of emotional intelligence and not so good at this other component. Mm -hmm. And people define emotional intelligence differently. Even people who recognize it as a a collection of different skills, how they categorize those skills varies. So we're going to go with what the Center for Empathy Education considers the categories of emotional intelligence. And there are four. It is self-awareness and self-regulation, social awareness, and relationship management. Mm-hmm. Those four broad categories cover a variety of different skills and abilities. And in the next couple of episodes, we're going to break down what skills and abilities fall into each of those categories and explain what they are and how to improve at them. But for this episode, we're just going to focus on it is not one thing. I like to think about it like cooking. Okay. So you can be a really good cook, but that doesn't mean that you're good at cooking, quote mm-hmm. unquote. That means you're good at a lot of things. And you're better at some of those things than others. Mm -hmm. So a really great chef knows, obviously, how to saute, how to pan fry, how to deep fry, how to bake. Right. But they might be better at some of those things than other things. And they might be better with some ingredients than others. So maybe they're really good at cooking steak, but their chicken always comes out a little dry. 
-hmm. You know, that doesn't make them a bad cook. It just means that they have different abilities within this broad category of skills. Right. If we're going to continue with this cooking analogy, we might look at emotional intelligence as cooking Mm -hmm. and the four categories as four kinds of cooking. So maybe self-awareness is Thai food. Okay. Maybe self-regulation is Mexican. Maybe social awareness is American and relationship management is French. Okay. So just because you're good at cooking Thai food doesn't mean you're good at cooking French food. Mm-hmm. You have to learn a different set of skills. They're related. You're going to saute in both. You're going to prep food in both. But what you actually do with that food, the flavors you use, are different. Right. So it's each transferable in some ways, but or they're helpful to each other, but they're not directly transferable. Right. If you've only ever cooked Thai food mm-hmm. and suddenly you want to cook French food, you're not going to just know how to do it. You're mm-hmm. going to need a recipe. You're going to need a cookbook. Right. And that's why you come to a resource like the Business of Empathy podcast, because we're going to explain the different flavors of cuisine that fall into emotional <laughs> intelligence. And we're going to explain the different techniques you need for each. Tasty analogy. Thank you. Um, so let's move on then to the third and final misconception about emotional intelligence. Yes. So the third misconception about emotional intelligence is that it doesn't matter. Right. Okay. And that is a huge problem uh, because, returning to our cooking analogy... That it that it doesn't... Uh, sorry if I may interrupt. Uh, that it doesn't matter or that it's not effective. And I guess sort of what I mean by that is, if, if it's not too much of a, a too deep of a dive, um, some people know that like some things matter, but that they're not like necessarily directly effective or directly profitable. I guess I'm sort of lumping those two things together when I when I consider it one misconception. Okay. Whether you think it doesn't matter because it's unimportant, or whether you think it doesn't matter because it's ineffective, mm-hmm. like either that it won't of those... change your you know your your outcome or your end product or your overhead or your final right. your final line. Regardless of the motive you have for believing it is irrelevant, I think the misconception is that it is irrelevant, and um, the irrelevancy of it mm-hmm. is the problem. Okay. Whether I'm trying to convince someone that it's important because it is effective or whether I'm trying to convince someone it's important because it does exist or because it will impact certain things, um, th- that affects how we have the conversation. But I think the misconception overall is that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So... I guess uh, maybe also just in a, in a conversation about whether it matters is maybe uh, how it ranks in importance. Right. Uh, um, so what I was going to say earlier was returning to our cooking analogy. Mm-hmm. Nobody says cooking doesn't matter because we all recognize that we need food to survive. Now, some people think being a chef isn't uh, a prestigious practical. career. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some people might look at being a chef as uh, lowly. Mm-hmm. The level of importance you give it differs. But we all agree that food matters. Mm -hmm. And I would just like to say, I think chefs are highly reputable. Um, Oh, yeah. That is an incredibly difficult job uh, (laughs) that I could not do. I can barely feed myself. But we all agree we need food to eat. But a lot of people returning to the first misconception believe that emotions don't matter at all. That we shouldn't have emotions. Or that if we have emotions, they just get in the way. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, some people go beyond that and they say, okay, they're helpful because they help us recognize, you know, how to handle different situations, but mostly they're just something we need to, to control, to manage, to mitigate because mm-hmm. they ruin everything. And I think that's a really toxic way to look at something that you can't avoid. 
we have emotions and we can't get past that. If we recognize that emotions are as important to us as food is, Mm -hmm. we'll start to recognize how important emotional intelligence is. Because just like being able to feed yourself keeps you alive, being able to uh, control your internal states and to use them effectively will help you be more successful in everything you do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, uh, you know, important thing to point out. Um, I'd also say probably then, you know, with the people who have misconceptions that it doesn't matter, do they think that like learning about it doesn't matter as well? Is it sort of something that's more, th- th- their impression of it would be that it's something innate or that you're born with, right? You're either kind of good at managing your emotions or you're not. And like, you can't get better or worse at it. Yes. Um, so... I don't want to linger on this analogy, but some people believe that intelligence is inherent. Mm -hmm. You are born with a certain amount of intelligence, and that is false. Uh, Your intelligence changes throughout your life because your ability to learn continues. You never stop learning. Uh, Some people think that your brain stops developing after childhood. That's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, It stops getting bigger at a certain point, but that's because and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but it stops getting bigger because you're pruning neurons, which means that you're creating more efficient connections, which means that you're getting smarter. Okay. That's why we're not children anymore. (laughs) That's why adults know more things. Sure. Because you are able to learn throughout your life and your intelligence does grow. Mm -hmm. Similarly, your emotional intelligence changes throughout your life. And to think that it's not something that you need to always be working on Mm -hmm. is, as you said, a misconception. I would say the majority of people recognize that you do have to teach children to handle their emotions because when you have children, you can observe, they don't know what to do with their feelings. Mm -hmm. But as we get older, somewhere around eight to 12, we say, oh, they're fine. They're done talking about feelings in school. They don't, they don't need to worry about that anymore. And then we never talk about it again. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge problem because one, a lot of people really didn't get the whole lesson when they were little. And two, your emotions continue for your entire life and they change. The way you respond to your emotions, the emotions you experience, they change across your life. That's why things like therapy are helpful because at different stages you need to to learn new skills to handle these new feelings you're having. Emotions aren't stagnant. We don't experience them the same across our entire lifespan. And as a result, we have to continually learn new skills. This also applies to professional settings. Every time you start a new job, you have to learn new relationship management skills. Every time you start in a new position, you have to redefine your self-awareness. So yes, to your point, uh, emotional intelligence is definitely something that needs to be worked on across the lifespan. So if the misconception is that emotional intelligence doesn't matter, um, I guess guess my question would be, why, why does it? So that is, of course, a huge question. The reason it matters is because when you have these emotional intelligence skills, you are more effective at just about everything you do. I think the best way to illustrate that would be to go through a couple of examples. Okay. So why don't you give me, you know, uh, a job and I'll tell you a couple of ways that they can use emotional intelligence in that job. Okay. Um, a product manager. So a product manager, let's imagine you're a product manager at a tech company and you are overseeing a new um, SaaS product and you're trying to communicate between the tech team who is eight people in Indonesia okay. and 
the business administration team, which is 12 people in Chicago. Mm -hmm. As a product manager, you utilize emotional intelligence every day because the foundation of your job is communication. And communication is an emotional intelligence skill. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to get into how it relates a little more in the coming episodes, but uh, the two categories of emotional intelligence it most pertains to are social awareness and relationship management. And when you are pursuing those two objectives, when you're trying to be socially aware or manage relationships, communication is at the base. And if we say communication can happen without emotions, that's just a falsehood. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Because human beings factor emotions into everything they do, especially communication. Because communication is just getting what your thoughts are mm -hmm. out to right. someone else, somewhere <laughs> else. And those thoughts are filtered through your feelings. Mm -hmm. So by having the skills to manage your internal state, you are better prepared to filter those thoughts in a way that is healthy and helpful and to frame what you're saying in a way that it is understood by others. So if you're the product manager I explained earlier um, and you're working with a team in Indonesia and a team in Chicago, cultural responsivity is a huge thing for you. Right. Because you're trying to get two teams from disparate cultures who are in different time zones, who have different backgrounds, who have different objectives to work together on a singular project. And that requires emotional intelligence because every single person on that team is having feelings. Maybe somebody feels inadequate or looked down upon. Maybe somebody feels superior or like they can look down on others. Maybe everybody feels hunky-dory and buddy-buddy. Regardless, those are all things you have to take into account when you're trying to get those teams to talk to one another. Mm -hmm. So I, I think in that situation, it's very clear how emotional intelligence factors into the day-to-day -day work you're doing. Right. I think some of the ways that people, maybe some of the skills that people uh, naturally uh, consider to be good in those situations, um, I think would probably, when you look at them, would be underlied uh, with emotional intelligence. Oh, definitely. Um, so like, again, like a lot of sales skills, a lot of um, managerial skills, just a lot of you know teamwork, uh, leadership, all of that in general definitely has an emotional intelligence angle or at least undertone to it. All of that. Management is just the practice of emotional intelligence. <laughs> um, Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. <laughs> uh, management is just the practice of emotional intelligence, whether people recognize it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, that is not what management was considered for the past several decades, uh, and probably even longer for the past several centuries. If you were looking at an 1880 uh, factory, the management was not worried about anyone's internal states. But where we are in 2020, people care about those things now. They don't want to work at a place where they feel mistreated or where they feel miserable all day. Mm -hmm. And so it is increasingly becoming management's job to create emotionally intelligent spaces, spaces where people feel comfortable to have feelings, mm -hmm. where they're not just churn and burn, but where people are respected and treated as human beings who have lives outside of the eight hours they're at work. And all of that comes down to emotional intelligence skills because if we look at at any job, most often you can categorize the skills that job requires into two categories. Soft skills, hard skills. If it's not a hard skill, it's probably emotional intelligence. I, no, I think that's like a just, you know, very, very cute point to point out. I think something you've been, uh, not that like you've directly, but like I think that you touched on that I'm thinking about is that there's, 
uh, sort of this two layers of emotion, or maybe not, maybe more than two, but different levels of emotional intelligence. Uh, there's sort of that individual level, right? Like I can be emotionally intelligent in my interaction with, with you. Um, but then there's sort of like a larger, I would say maybe business level emotional intelligence, right? Like management is being generally emotionally intelligent towards uh, the people that they're managing or, you know, uh, the leadership is responsive. HR deals with our problems. Uh, I guess sort of emotional intelligence skills that can be applied to the individual as a skill, but can also be applied to the business as a principle. Yes. Uh, when I provide emotional intelligence services to an organization, I provide it on two levels. Mm -hmm. The individual level and the organizational level, as you said. You, you actually um, extracted that very neatly from, from what I was saying. Uh, so on the individual level, there are sub-levels. So on the individual level, you might be looking at a single individual's emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence isn't confined to communications between people, relationships between people. It happens within ourselves by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then building out from that, it's how we connect with those around us. And that would be the individual level. So you're worrying about building each singular person's skills. But then on the organizational level, you're talking about how can we write emotional intelligence into policy, into practice. How do we ensure that the strategy that the business is following is emotionally intelligent and takes into account the humanity of both their employees and their customers? Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we start getting into things like HR practices and hiring practices and, and management practices. And, you know, when I do my consulting work, I work with both of those levels because they're both important. Uh, you really can't have an emotionally intelligent organization if the individuals working there are not practicing emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. But individuals practicing emotional intelligence will not solve the problem if the business is designed in such a way that it deters uh, that kind of behavior or if the policy that is in practice is uh, counterproductive to those goals. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the word, the, the use of the word policy really, I think, stands out because you can even probably extrapolate you know, above the business level, right, at like the governmental level or at the state level of like this is sort of you know, is this law, in a way, we never use this terminology, but emotionally intelligent? Is it, um, for the people that it affects, is it, you know, affecting them properly? Is it considering what they actually need? Um, now, I don't think this is necessarily what we're going to get into in the scope of this podcast, but I think that, you know, if you're still asking yourself, why is this important? Uh, I think the, the answer is pretty clear that healthy emotional intelligence at every single level uh, yields benefits. Oh, absolutely. I love that you've made that extrapolation. Because if you are a mother and you have a two-year-old, you see the value of emotional intelligence because your two-year-old lacks it. <laughs> and you want them to have it. Sure. But if you're a Supreme Court justice, you can see the same thing when you're looking at laws. Of course, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not qualified to speak on that at any level. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can, as an emotional intelligence expert, say definitively that that is a factor that should be considered when we are looking at the impact of social policy. Um, so yes, thank you for that, that, um, addition. Mm -hmm. Uh, I completely agree. And <laughs> I hope everyone listening, uh, gets it, it exists. Mm -hmm. It's more than one thing and it matters. Yeah. All right. So what, I guess my last question then would be if somebody has these, uh, or what is a way that somebody who has these misconceptions can uh, sort of recognize them? Well, if in listening to this podcast, you said, hey, that's me, 
no, in seriousness, um, I think you just have to conduct a little self-reflection and say, am I valuing my emotions? Mm-hmm. Am I valuing the emotions of others? And what am I doing every day to utilize my emotions in a way that is helpful to me? And if the answer to that question is no, no, and nothing, mm-hmm. then you need to be doing more work on your emotional intelligence. Okay. Um, so after you know somebody goes and handles uh, their misconceptions, um, what could they look forward to in some future episodes? <laughs> so in the coming episodes, we will be breaking down emotional intelligence further. In the next episode, we'll be breaking down self-awareness and self-regulation, which are two internally focused categories of emotional intelligence. Okay. And in the episode following, we will be talking about uh, social awareness and relationship management, which are two externally focused categories of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, In each of those episodes, we will define the terms, give you some examples, and talk about how to practice those skills in your day-to-day life. Right. And uh, you mentioned these in the second misconception. Uh, Yes. Those are the four categories of emotional intelligence as defined by the Center for Empathy Education. All right. Well, that sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to those next episodes. Absolutely. So in summary, the top three misconceptions of emotional intelligence are that it doesn't exist, it's one singular thing, and it doesn't matter. And those are all false. Yep. (laughs) Emotional intelligence is a collection of skills that enables us to live effectively by managing our internal states. And it matters because it impacts everything we do. Referring back to the last episode, which was a little while ago, so if you've forgotten (laughs) what the activity was, that is okay. But last episode, I asked you to pay attention to your behavior and that of those around you, both at home and at work, and to keep an eye out for pro-social and anti-social behavior, to notice it within yourself, and to become curious about how to improve it. Uh, This is something we'll be talking about basically forever, Mm -hmm. pro-social and anti-social behavior is. Uh, But Solomon, did you have the chance to observe any pro or anti-social behavior in the past, I think, two months? (laughs) Nope, not a single (laughs) bit. (laughs) I definitely noticed, uh, I, I would say, some uh, something of it in my life. Basically, I noticed that sometimes when uh, you know, I'm, I'm interacting with my partner and like the interaction is negative, uh, in myself, I tend to immediately rush to try to fix it. That like my partner immediately is like, oh, let's try to pretend there's, not that there's not a problem, but that like we're immediately going to solve the problem as opposed to, which, you know, I think sometimes... Uh, is the right thing to do in that in that uh, situation. Um, I think in other situations, you know, sometimes you need to sit in the moment for a little bit and understand that, like, it's not, you know, that the, the, that rush to the, the solution isn't always uh, helpful. Sure. If your partner's drowning, definitely jump to action. If your partner is drowning in anxiety, mm-hmm. let them feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So thank you for paying attention to that behavior. And listeners, if you have any insights from your observations, please feel free to contact us at businessofempathy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for this week, I am asking you to think about these top three misconceptions and where you've seen them. And maybe have a conversation with someone about emotional intelligence. Talk about it. See. What do the people you work with think about it? Do mm-hmm. they hold these misconceptions? Right. And do you think that's affecting your workplace? And we invite everyone to keep up with us on social media and uh, keep tuned as we're now starting to release episodes again. We are the Business of Empathy podcast. We are at Empathy Biz, Empathy, B-I-Z, Z is in zebra, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to us, we are businessofempathy at gmail.com. Uh, for our email. 
And we'd like to thank the Center for Empathy Education for sponsoring this podcast. They are at empathy underscore ed on Twitter, Instagram, and Medium, at Center for Empathy Education on Facebook and LinkedIn. And you can find them at centerforempathyeducation.com. If you want to talk to them or any of their staff, you can reach them on their contact page. Thank you so much for listening and tune in next time as we dive into the business of empathy. Thank you.